In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. The main event is the first sit-down interview with Shelby County Commissioner Tammy Sawyer talking with Elmer Youssef about her decision to get into the race for Memphis mayor. Top of the podcast, former Memphis City Council member and Mayor Myron Lowry wants back in to politics, that is. Lowry, who has been retired from the game since leaving the council at the end of 2015, posting on Facebook that he will be running for city court clerk on the October ballot. The clerk's office, now held by Kay Robilio, is on the ballot with races for Memphis mayor, all 13 seats on the Memphis City Council, and the three city court judges' positions. Still developing possibly a referendum election at some point this year to increase the city's sales tax rate by half a cent to restore health care and retirement benefits cut several years ago by the city. In January, the police and fire unions turned in petitions with 140,000 signatures by their account to get the question to city voters sometime this year. The union's preference is that it not go on the October ballot with city elections. So here's the math. 38,450 signatures from voters who live in the city of Memphis are needed to get this on the ballot. The count and certification of the signatures is ongoing by the Shelby County Election Commission, even as it prepares for the March 12th special election for State Senate District 32. 2,300 pages and 22,826 signatures processed as of Wednesday afternoon, March 6th of that 8,767 signatures judged as valid, 10,079 invalid, and another 3,980 in pending status. The local elections administrator, Linda Phillips, says the pending signatures could be compared with signatures on voter registration forms kept on microfilm if additional signatures are needed. This week telling us, quote, it will take as long as it takes. Back to the special election in State Senate District 32, the early voting numbers are in with the end of the early voting period, March 7th, 6,507 early voters. That's up about 500 from the early voter turnout in the January primaries for this seat. 3,558 early voters in the Shelby County part of District 32, 2,949 in the Tipton County part of the district. Election day is Tuesday, March 12th. Former Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam has not made a decision yet on whether he will be a candidate for the U.S. Senate in 2020. Haslam's first word on this is that he is seriously considering the race. Well, showing up this week, a digital attack ad from Club for Growth Action calling Haslam a rhino, Republican in name only. The 60-second spot opens with images of Virginia's Democratic governor and lieutenant governor and says Haslam is, quote, dirty too. Club for Growth Action is a super PAC that characterizes itself as the political arm of Club for Growth. That's a conservative group with some wealthy financial backers, including the Koch brothers, in past elections. The PAC specializes in third-party or dark money attack ads. 
Club for Growth was among the conservative PACs that backed Republican Marsha Blackburn's successful bid last year for the state's other Senate seat over Democrat Phil Bredesen in a general election campaign heavy with attack ads. The idea of closed primaries, that is, primaries open only to voters of that party who indicate they are Republicans or Democrats when they register to vote, goes down in the Tennessee legislature. At least the original idea being pushed by the Tennessee Republican Party's executive committee. Current Republican Governor Bill Lee and Haslam have each said they oppose closed primaries. So what is still moving in Nashville is an amended bill that allows but does not require some kind of registration with either of the political parties. Voters who don't register their party affiliation in some way could still choose whichever primary they wanted if this version of the bill passes. Hello, I'm Omar Youssef, county government reporter for the Daily Memphian. Behind her campaign slogan, We Can't Wait, first-term Shelby County Commissioner Tammy Sawyer announced this week her plans to run for Memphis mayor. Sawyer joins a growing list of contenders, including current mayor Jim Strickland and former mayor Willie Harrington. Commissioner Sawyer joins me on the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast to talk about her decision. She's also our first returning guest, so welcome back to the podcast, Tammy. Thanks for having me again, Omer. So just how the past couple of days been since you made your announcement? The past few days have really been exciting. There's a lot of energy in the city behind the announcement. People agree that we can't wait uh, for a new brand of leadership that is focused on equity and opportunity. And I've just been overwhelmed and, and just really honored with how many people are already supporting us. So is your campaign solely about what you feel like is best for the city? Or is there a combination of a challenge on Mayor Jim Strickland's brilliant at the basics approach. It's basically what I believe is best for the city. I believe that we can no longer afford to continue to make the same mistakes of the past, nor can we have basic leadership. I believe that we have to open the doors of City Hall and have an innovative, innovative and collaborative space that welcomes the voices of all Memphians from all walks of life, from all parts of town. We don't have that right now. And we are facing an economic downturn in approximately two years that will disproportionately impact people of color and women. And we have to make strides now to ensure, Omer, that we are ready to support every Memphian. This time last year, you were campaigning to become a commissioner. And then obviously six months ago, you were sworn in. So when did the possibility of you thinking about running for mayor, how did that all come about? So this this race is a collaborative effort of people who are coming together to say that we want change in the city. And after I was elected into office, I began to see just how deep the inequity in our city really goes. And, you know, people came to me and they asked would I consider it. And I was um, originally hesitant. But the more that we looked at the at what was coming to impact our city. Um, the more that we looked at the opportunity indicators that came out at the end of 2018 that said that Memphis was in the bottom for opportunity for education, opportunity for a quality, um, a quality life and quality healthcare, I said, we can't wait. You know, I can't wait four years to change the conversation about how we can get more opportunity in this city for everyone. Was there a moment that you when did you firmly decide that this was some, this was what you were going to do? Um, we firmly have been committed to running uh, since about the beginning of 2019. 
So was there anyone that had to convince you? Did you have to convince others? What what was that process like? I definitely had to sit and think about the impact of this on my ability to be a leader um, in the community, my family, my personal life. There's always lots of considerations for anyone who runs for office. And so I had to weigh all of those things. And what I came out with and what my family sat and came out with was that the best decision was the one that wasn't going to be the easiest. It would be easy for me to walk away and say, nope, just let this campaign be basic. And, you know, whoever becomes mayor continues uh, to run the city the way it's been run for decades. But we agreed that the youth of Memphis who we don't invest in their education, uh, the incarcerated individuals who return home with no supports for them, they deserve more and they deserve more now. So obviously the year 2023 has been brought up a lot with your campaign. There's been a lot of critics who have been, who've said, why didn't, you just, why didn't you just wait until 2023? You would have been right. on the commission for about five years. So why was it so important for you to get this campaign going in 2019? You know, Omer, by 2030, economists anticipate that black wealth will be net zero dollars. That means that there will be more debt in the black community than there will be assets. And if that's 2030 across America, imagine when that will be in Memphis, where 50% of African-American children are born below the line of poverty. Those are the type of things that I looked at when I said, we don't have four or five years for basic leadership. What we need now is someone who's going to look at the fact that we are underserving too many Memphians of all identities, that we're not providing opportunities, we're not providing open door um, collaboration with all parts of our city and with all identities, and we have to do it now. So during your time on the commission, you've pushed on issues such as criminal justice reform, public transit, economic equity. Are there going to be any significant changes between your commission platform and your platform for your upcoming campaign? Well, we'll absolutely expand it because this is a campaign for the entire city. But those tenants that I've I've led on as a commissioner will continue to be a major part of my campaign. So economic equity, looking at how we support small businesses, especially minority and women-owned businesses. Education will continue to be a major part of my platform. We need to reinvest in our schools. All of the municipalities and the states surrounding us invest in their education. 95% of the people incarcerated in Memphis today do not have a diploma or a GED. And the average uh, inmate reads on a fourth grade level. We talk about public safety, Omer, but we don't fund education. So we can't keep putting more police officers on the street and not putting books in schools with our students. And so those are the things that I've talked about criminal justice reform as a commissioner. I've worked on education reform. I've talked about equity and transit, and those will continue to be a broader part of my platform. So you've talked about investing more in education. Obviously, the city has not funded education except for this pre-K <clears throat> thing that's been going on now. What are some steps or what are some areas you would look to try and get funding for education? As you know, we have a multi-layered educational system. We have SES, we have charters, we have ASD. And so we have to figure out what's the best approach uh, over the next year or two to reinvest in schools. It might not be a blank check to SES. We don't know that yet. The responsible thing to do is to evaluate the best way to put a dent in uh, educational inequity, right? 
So there's many things that need to happen. Our school buildings um, need repair. There's deferred maintenance. Um, we need to recruit teachers and retain teachers. Um, you know, we need to ensure that the literacy rate rises. There's so much that needs to happen. Um, and so I think beginning that conversation and relationship immediately between City Hall and the school board and really figuring out what the best way to tackle this is going to be will be how we'll know how to proceed. But it will happen right away. So how has your time on the commission so far affected the way that you speak out on issues and how you try to go about addressing them? I think my time on the commission has emboldened me to continue to be a leader who um, is unafraid and unapologetic to speak out to the inequities that I see. Um, there are times when I have been asked to be silent or, you know, to go with the status quo. And I have found that those times when I've not been sure of myself um, and afraid to speak out is when I didn't make the right decision in my heart. And so what I've learned in a short amount of time is to lead with my heart and to lead with what I know is best for our city. So if you're elected, what are some ways or what is a different approach you would take to these issues that other leaders and mayors have not taken in the past? I think right away we're looking at establishing a fiscal year 21 budget that's an equity budget. That means we'll redistribute our dollars and look at making sure that we are applying funds to every part of the city. So take, for example, how we decide which roads to pave. We'll balance that out across communities so that Watkins is paved as frequently as Walnut Grove, so that Chelsea gets the same treatments that Poplar does. And that's going to be important because people, kids grow up, you know, shaping their identity by what they see and how they see their neighborhoods treated and, and cared for. And I want to change that. And so passing the FY21 equity budget will be very important. We'll jump into that immediately. Um, and we've never had an equity budget in Memphis. We've seen it in Santa Fe. We've seen it in Charlottesville. We've seen it done across the country. And I think we can do that here. Equity is obviously a, a big talking point for you and something you've pushed on for the last couple of years. It's, I mean, obviously, it's one thing to talk about equity, but how would you try and implement it? Well, there's so many ways. First, the uh, mayor is the chief administrator of the city. That means that the mayor sets the vision for how the city's run. So one of the first steps that any mayor takes is to build an administration. My administration will be one whose vision is set on equity. And so all of the operations that come out of City Hall will be equity focused. And I think that's how you get to that shift. You put leaders in place who share your vision, who believe that equity and opportunity are required in all parts of the city. And that'll be a major change as well. Um, additionally, again, educational equity is important. And one of the things that our kids are missing most that keep our, keeps our educational system inequitable is dollars. So reinvesting in education, not just pre-K, but in all levels of education, from pre-K to K-12 to adult literacy programs to reinvesting in the re-entry program, which is a major part of education as well. And so taking on all of that is also a way to reestablish or to establish equity in our city. So in Memphis right now, especially downtown, there's been a lot of news with Union Row and other projects. What are your thoughts about how people view economic development in the city and how do you view it? So I think we have great momentum, right? So we've got new jobs, we've got developments, but though that momentum is only great for a few people. It does not extend across boundaries of zip codes. Our lowest income zip codes aren't seeing the same momentum. 
they won't be able to get downtown to enjoy the new developments or to rent in uh, new high-priced apartments. And so we have to have momentum uh, when we're talking about jobs, for example. The momentum for jobs right now are not quality jobs. They're not jobs with good benefits that pay a high wage. They're not jobs that are going to outlast the automation boom that we're expecting in two to three years. And so we have to hold developers and uh, businesses accountable to the jobs that they promise, you know, considering what we've seen with Electrolux and Ikea and things like that. We also have to say, if you promise a thousand jobs in Whitehaven, those thousand jobs in Whitehaven have to be quality and long lasting. So there's obviously a lot of talk when it comes to these type of announcements that public incentives are so key to trying to get these businesses here. So how would you go about marketing Memphis to outside people on the outside or people on the inside who want to have business, want to do business here? Right. Great question. Up until a year ago, Omer, uh, on the Chamber's website, it said, come to Memphis. We have the lowest income rates in the city, you know. We have cheap labor for you. And we were selling our people as cheap labor to recruit business here. And so what we've seen is that businesses actually value communities that invest in the arts, invest in education, um, invest in the development of its people. And so I want to market Memphis is come to Memphis. We're, we're betting on our number one resource, our people, their creativity, their resilience, their innovation, their talent. We're betting on their education that that's going to reduce crime and raise um, and lower the poverty rate, right? So come to Memphis because we're building a new city that's focused on opportunity. And with that opportunity, you'll be able to recruit the type of employees that you need for your business to boom. You'll be able to open new offices across the city. You'll be able to sell your products because we'll be able to buy them, right? So don't come to Memphis uh, to underserve our community anymore, but come to Memphis to join our movement for prosperity that's tied to opportunity and equity. Obviously, there are a lot of issues you want to address within the city, but what? why do you love Memphis? Because you did come back from Memphis <laughs> from D.C. I did. So what made you want to come back, and why do you... Why do you continue making Memphis your home? I mean, Memphis is where I grew up, right? You know, and it's where my family is. And it's where I wanted to serve. I spent a decade in D.C. and I could have stayed. And I said, I want to do good work. I want to be a better person. I want to impact my community. And I want to do that at home. And Memphis, I'll say over and over again, I could list all the things that I love about the city, and it always comes back to great people, creative people. It's the music, and of course, it's the barbecue. And, you know, it's the um, educators, and it's the characters in our lives, my uncles, my aunts, you know, my mother's best friends. Um, and there's so many great communities. It's, you know, Greek Fest and Africa in April. It's the National Civil Rights Museum and the legacy of Dr. King being killed here that we're still fighting to overcome. You know, it's the pyramid and Bass Pro. It's Rudy Gay. <laughs> it's so many different things that, you know, we could say that Memphis is, but at the end of the day, it's the people. It's everyone who speaks to me in Kroger and says, keep pushing, keep fighting for us, sister. It's the people who stop me in the gas station and say, I agree with you, we need a better city. I, I like what you said the other day. It's the folks who send me Facebook messages and say, you don't know me, but I hope you're taking care of yourself. I'm proud of you. That's who and that's why I fight.
so this is now your third campaign. A few years ago, you ran against John D. Berry, mm-hmm. and you you lost that race, but then you won the commission race last year. So what are some lessons that you took from those two campaigns as, you about, you're, as you're about to enter this one? So, uh, you know, we've learned a lot, and one of the things is that people want your time, people want to see you, you know. So we will be in the community. We will be knocking on doors. We'll be all across this city um, sharing why we can't wait and asking Memphians to say they can't wait with us. Um, what we've also learned is that a good grassroots campaign means that we are in the community, right? We are working alongside. Omer, I've been at the rallies. I go to the meetings. I hold the town halls. I've marched with people. I've led the protest, right? And so all of that combined means that we'll be able to invest people in this vision. It's not about big name endorsements. That's great. Whoever endorses us will be excited and will be honored and will be proud and will be happy to share that. But at the beginning of the day is that we need to cross the finish line with the majority of the votes. And the majority of the votes is not just going to be about a handful of endorsements. It's going to be about the people of Memphis saying we can't wait for Tammy to lead us to the next phase. And so we're going to go to directly and ask everyone to vote for us. So speaking of endorsements, next month there's going to be the People's Convention. Is that an endorsement that you're hoping to seek? So the history of the People's Convention, I think, is one that's great and and deserves to be recognized, you know, for bringing in the historic um, um, mayoral tenure of Dr. Harrington. And it's exciting that they're doing it again. Um, And so we will participate. We will participate and we would hope to get um, that endorsement just like any endorsement that we go for. So this is obviously we're celebrating our bicentennial as a city this Mm -hmm. year. And if you were elected, you would be the first woman, much less African-American woman, to hold that office. So what would that mean to you to get to be elected during the bicentennial? It would be an honor. It's not just the 200th anniversary of Memphis. Omer is the 400th anniversary of slaves first being brought to America. It's the 51st anniversary of Dr. King being killed at the Lorraine Motel. And it is the 200th anniversary of our city. And so those aren't things that I take lightly. Those are things that I realize, and that's why I say we can't wait. Should we wait another 200 years for a woman to hold the seat to lead our city? Should we wait 400 years for an African-American woman to be able to lead our city? You know, those are the things that I think about when I think about the gravity of this moment. I think about the fact that I have young nieces and goddaughters who look up to me and don't see black women in leadership, don't see women in leadership, not in major numbers and at high levels. And so I do this for the little girls who are in schools who don't believe that they matter who don't think that a plus-size black woman with natural hair can get into a position of leadership in this city. And I'm hoping to change that. Last year, you were part of a movement of black women who in record numbers got elected to office, both in the county and in the state. So how how much does that encourage you moving forward as you enter this race? I'm encouraged by the movement of black women being elected across this country, uh, from London Lamar and Ramesh Akbari being elected here to the courageous campaign of Stacey Abrams and Tashara Jones in St. Louis, um, to the leadership of our fr- former first lady, Michelle Obama. Um, these are women that I'm encouraged by. And, you know, when 
those things that we talk about, when I don't see myself in these positions, when I um, face racism and catcalling and body shaming online or in my face, I say, they went high when everyone else went low. If they could fight, so could I. If Fannie Lou Hamer and Ida B. Wells could face death threats and be medically operated on, be tortured in jail cells, I in 2019 can stand strong. So I have a plethora of black women who I look up to, including my own mother and my grandmother, who's no longer with us, who was born and raised in North Memphis and never had the opportunity to be educated past eighth grade. I do this for Bernice, my grandmother, and for the fact that that should not still be the story of black women and girls in Memphis. Shelby County Commissioner and Mayoral Candidate Tammy Sawyer. Thank you. A reporter's roundtable this week on Behind the Headlines on WKNO-TV that includes Karanja Ajanaku of the new Tri-State Defender and Toby Sells of the Memphis Flyer. The developing race for Memphis mayor and the media's role in reporting on economic development incentives among the topics we will cover. Subscribe to The Daily Memphian at dailymemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Memphian, at DM, and at Omer A. Youssef. I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy and comes to you on the OAM Network. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.